American soccer fans, welcome to episode 73 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Don Wine here, manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. I am back from World Cup qualifying. The window is over. I have sufficiently warmed up from the three coldest matches in U.S. men's national team history. And I figured we would start with those games. We will also cover Nations League coming back in April with the draw. And again, with matches in June, we will also cover the She Believes roster very briefly towards the end. But again, I want to start with World Cup qualifying because that was the big fish from the past week and a half. Uh, as we know, the United States played El Salvador in Columbus, winning there one to nothing. They then traveled to Hamilton, Ontario, where they lost to Canada two nothing, but then rebounded in cold, bitter cold St. Paul, Minnesota, with a three nothing victory against Honduras to wrap up the window. So I'm going to take you through those three matches. And I want to start with Columbus because Columbus was an interesting game. It was at that point the coldest game in men's national team history, 29 degrees to kickoff. It was funny because at that time when we were in the stands, we're thinking, man, it's very, very cold here. But as we knew, we were prepared for it to get even colder throughout the rest of the window. But that game was kind of a slugfest in in the sense that there wasn't a lot of action. Obviously, the United States ended up winning on a goal by Anthony Robinson that was set up kind of by the actions of Tim Weah. In a similar spot that Tim Weah had also in Columbus a couple of months ago against Costa Rica. So uh, shout out to him. I thought that the game left a little bit to be desired because at that point, the men's national team had not put together a complete game. And I think everybody realized that. I think everybody realized that they just wanted to escape with the win, get up to Canada and see what they can do against the team that right now is currently the top team in CONCACAF. But El Salvador was a team that, They were scrappy. They played hard. They played physical. The referee probably didn't help a little bit with some of the calls that were going both ways. But at the end of the day, the United States gets that win. In the lead up to the game in Hamilton, I think I want to explain to some people what it took for a few of us to get to Canada. As a lot of you know, traveling international comes with its different rules, uh, especially when it comes to COVID. And one of the rules that Canada has is that you have to have a negative COVID test as well as be double vaccinated to enter the country. Now, that COVID test has an expiration time. The COVID test must have been taken within 72 hours of you entering the country, whether by flight, when you get on the plane to go to Canada, or when you drive. So I had an early morning flight the day after Columbus to fly to Canada with a COVID test that was valid. I found out after the match that my flight had been canceled to Canada, which meant that I was now up against a clock because as a lot of you out there know, COVID tests are taking a long time to get back, especially PCR tests, which is what is required to enter Canada. And mine expired at 8.55 the next morning. So me and a couple of buddies did what any normal fan would do. We rented a car and we drove to Canada that night. We got to Canada at least to the border, around 3.45 in the morning. I got to say hello to my hometown of Detroit and cross over the Ambassador Bridge into Windsor, something I'm very, very familiar with. But 
driving three and a half hours in the middle of the night to get to Canada. That was an experience. We ended up resting at a hotel for a few hours around 4 a.m., getting back up again and driving the rest away into Toronto. Now, because of the weather on the East Coast, a lot of people had this issue. So a lot of people ended up driving to Buffalo and crossing over into Niagara Falls and driving into Toronto, into Hamilton that way. But mad respect out there to everybody who made the trip to Canada because a lot of us had to do some quirky things to get there. Uh, I know it was very difficult with the weather and with, with travel delays and cancellations. Uh, so shout out to everybody who did make the trip. One person who did not make the trip on the national team was Tim Weah. And the reason initially was that they said that Canada did not consider him fully vaxxed. Now, I don't want to get into the political side of things, but this was kind of a political thing in the sense that Tim Weah, according to the country of France, where he does play soccer, is fully vaccinated because he got his first shot. He then contracted COVID and has to be 90 days clear from COVID before he is able to receive his second shot. That if you're within that 90 day window, if you've cleared COVID and you're within the 90 day window, you are still considered to be fully vaccinated. And he was just waiting for that time to run out to get his shot. Well, Canada only considers people who are who have two full shots to be vaccinated fully. And because of that, Way was not able to make the trip to Canada. And I think we missed him against Canada personally. But I think those sort of things were interesting because a couple of days before we had Greg Berhalter saying that everybody was available and that everyone was available to make the trip. This is something that they discovered only a couple of days before the trip to Canada. And because of that, Tim Way had to stay back. But the rest of the guys went to Canada and it was not a good trip for the United States men's national team. Again, a 2 nothing victory by Canada who played very well. They, they did exactly what they wanted to do. They scored early and then they parked the bus and were willing to concede possession and concede chances and try to absorb all the pressure that the United States was bringing them in the effort to counterattack. And the last counterattack they had with literally one of the last seconds of the game ended up making it 2 nothing for the final score. It was a cold day. It was on turf that was very, very slick, but there are no excuses. The team did not play well on the day. We had obviously some individual performances that were pretty good. You know, Weston McKinney had the best chance of the afternoon with his header right at the stroke of halftime. That, and from my vantage point, it was right on the line. And if Milan Borjan had waited a split second, that ball's in the back of the net. But we didn't get a goal there. And it made it where the game against Honduras and St. Paul was a must win. Now, we shift to St. Paul, the coldest day in men's national team history. One of those days that everyone who is in that stadium will remember that day. They'll remember all the layers. I'll remember all the layers we had to put on, all the hand warmers that were stuffed in crevices and pockets and hats and gloves to make it where it was something that we could withstand. And we all did. We all made it. Um, a couple of players from Honduras did not, uh, unfortunately, to develop hypothermia symptoms at halftime and had to be subbed off. So we do hope that they are okay and uh, can get back to playing soccer very, very soon. But this was something that happened once and it should not happen again. But I'll say this. Minnesota deserved to have a World Cup qualifier. Allianz Field is one of the best stadiums in this country. I've said it before. I will say it again. 
Allianz Field deserved to have a game. It just, and I think Minnesotans who were there would say that it probably shouldn't have been the game on February 2nd, but they absolutely deserve that game. So all the narrative about why they picked Minnesota for a game, skip the Minnesota part because Minnesota has nothing to do with it. It's the cold that everybody should be focusing on. It's the degrees. It's the wind chill. That's what everyone should be focusing on. So for everybody out there who's talking about this game, please remember that Minnesota did not ask to have this game in February. They asked to have a game and they absolutely deserved it. They put on a great show. And I want to thank everybody in Minneapolis, St. Paul for making it a super, super great time. I had too fun of a time in Minnesota. So uh, I want to shout out them because they deserve that praise. Now to the game, I think this was the best game of the window, obviously, because this is the one where the guys came out and they played like they should be playing. They dispatched the team that they should have beaten the worst team in the octagon, and they did it easily. They hammered them early. They hammered them often, and they put balls in the back of the net. Goals from Weston McKinney, Walker Zimmerman, and Christian Pulisic. That is a game that you need to have because when you look at the standings right now, we have scenarios. And we can talk about those now because we only have three games left. We have one window in March, and it's a big one for the United States. Let's go through the standings real quick. Canada is at the top with 25 points and a plus 14 goal differential. The United States, 21 points, plus nine goal differential. Mexico also stuck on 21 points, but with a plus six goal differential. There's your top three. And after that, you have Panama, who is at 17 points with a plus one goal differential. Fifth place, Costa Rica, 16 points with a plus one goal differential. El Salvador technically still has an outside chance at securing a playoff berth. They cannot get to the World Cup outright, but they can get to the playoff. They are in sixth place with nine points and a minus seven goal differential. So they need a lot to happen before they can get to that playoff. And Jamaica and Honduras, both seventh and eighth, they are eliminated from possible qualification to the World Cup, whether through the playoff or outright. So for all intents and purposes, there's six teams. Canada, with 25 points, they cannot go lower than the playoff. They have least secured the top four. What do the United States have to do to get there? Well, their magic number for the top four is five points, and their magic number for the top three and an automatic berth to the World Cup is six points. What does that mean? I don't mean they have to win two games. That obviously would help. But it's a combination of points from both the Americans and also points conceded by Panama and Costa Rica. So the United States in March, they travel to Azteca. They travel back to Orlando to face Panama directly. And then they travel to Costa Rica for the last match of qualification. Costa Rica, to leapfrog the United States, has to get nine points and they need the United States to drop them. Obviously, they play each other. For Panama, they have to get all their points and they need the United States to drop them. Of course, they play each other. And Mexico also plays the United States in Azteca. So the United States, if they beat Panama, there is your six points. Minus three, plus three, equals six. And that would secure at that point, if they have not won at Azteca or gotten points at Azteca, that will secure a top four berth for the United States and could secure qualification as well, depending on what Costa Rica has done. So 
this is the angle, right? And, and when it comes to Costa Rica, they host Canada. They host the United States. These are three big, you know, two big games for them at home. A place where the United States has never won. Again, Azteca, a place where the United States has never won during qualifying. We've gotten two draws the last two cycles. We've won on, in a friendly in 2012. So recent history is promising for the United States, but they have not secured that win when it matters in World Cup qualifying. So the United States has a lot left to do in March, but it is still attainable. A result is not something that is outside of the realm of possibility in Mexico. Beating Panama in Orlando, something we did last cycle. We are undefeated at Exploria Stadium, which is where the game will be. And then hopefully you don't leave it to that last match date like you did a cycle ago where you're going to a place that you've never won. So the United States is hoping for some results. They may be probably pulling for Canada in that first match day. They may also be pulling for Honduras in that first match day, even though Honduras has not yet won a game in the octagon. There's a lot that can happen. And I think what everyone needs to realize is that despite all I just said, the United States is still in good shape. They control their own destiny. If they win their games, they're in. They get six points on their own, they're in because that will outlast whatever Costa Rica and Panama can do. So let's hope they do that. We have a whole six weeks to figure that out, and we have a whole six weeks to kind of stew on it. But remember, come March, that is a huge window. It's the last one, and it's the most important one. We've said it all along. That is going to be the most difficult one. And the United States has to go out and just earn that trip to the World Cup because. As we know, no World Cup is just given to you. Let's pause right there and take a break. On the other side, we will discuss Nations League and we will discuss She Believes, which is coming up. Stick around. We are back, and my favorite tournament is also back. And that, as you all know, is the CONCACAF Nations League. The second edition of the tournament will start in June this year. The draw is on April 4th, and we know at least where the United States is set up to be and also who is going to be joining them in League A. So let's talk about that real quick. But first, as I mentioned, the draw is on Monday, April 4th in Miami. And we will learn at that point who the United States will be playing and when, because the way that this window is going to be set up is that there will be two matches during the double window of May and June of this year. That window is a double window, which means you can have four matches. So you will have two Nations League games there with the second two coming in the March 2023 window. So for the United States, what that means is that if you're looking at a calendar, If the team makes the World Cup outright and is not in the playoff this June, they will have the opportunity for two friendlies, most likely, as well as two Nations League games. The other thing is, in September, they will also be set up to have friendlies for a send-off to the World Cup. There is no October window. There is no November window before the World Cup. So September would be the final chance for fans to see this team before they go off to the World Cup. If they make it. So if they're in the playoff, then the nation's league will be coupled by the inter-confederation playoff 
which will be in Qatar during that double window. So that is how the schedule could set up for the United States. So now here's the question. Who could the United States see in the Nations League group stage? Let's go through that real quick. Right now, the way it's set up, the seeded line, pot one, will be the seeded teams, the top three teams in CONCACAF, followed by whoever ends up in fourth place in the octagonal and is in that interconfederational playoff. As of right now, the top three seeds are Mexico, the United States, and Canada. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a huge gap between those three teams and the next two teams in Costa Rica and Panama, who obviously also could be fourth place in the octagonal. El Salvador, as I mentioned before the break, has an outside remote shot at the top four as well. So here is what these pots could look like. In pot one, with the seeds, the United States, Mexico, Canada, and one of Panama, Costa Rica, and El Salvador. Pot two will be the remaining two teams of Panama, Costa Rica, and El Salvador. Also, you will have Honduras and Jamaica, two teams that we've seen in the octangle as well. And then pot three, which is the one that's very intriguing to me because of islands, Martinique, Grenada, Curacao, and Suriname. Suriname, obviously not an island, but one that's intriguing in itself because it's one of the lone teams that we have in this confederation that is on the continent of South America. So when you're looking at these pots, the United States have quite a few options here. We're going to see a team that we're probably very familiar with because we saw them during the octagonal twice. And then you're going to see a team that perhaps we haven't seen before in Grenada or Suriname or a team that we haven't seen since one of the gold cups of, of previous years in Martinique and Curacao. But I will tell you, they are going to be all great, great trips. So I'm very much looking forward to whoever we get drawn in pot three, especially, but also pot two, because all these places that we've traveled to for the octagonal have been fantastic. So again, the draw is April 4th, and we will learn who the United States will have in their league, a group. Go to starsandstripesfc.com. We will have all the coverage there. Also, my other podcast, World of CONCACAF, will also be taking this all under, under consideration. We will discuss all of the Nations League in future episodes, especially leading up to this draw on April 4th. All right, we turn quickly to the U.S. Women's National Team, which, as everyone knows, has She Believes Cup coming up beginning next week. And they released the roster late last week, and I want to go through the roster very quickly. So there are 23 names on this roster with an additional 24th. That 24th name is Trinity Rotman. She will be training with the group, but she is not on the official She Believes Cup roster. She obviously could be there as someone gets an injury or, or has to withdraw for other reasons. But I do think that it means that Trinity Rodman is on the cusp of being a part of this national team. She's just trying to get integrated more with the team. And I think Black Ondanowski has said that she just needs to click it into another level when she's with the national team group. Hopefully she's able to do that in this camp because she is a star in the making and is going to be around for a very long time. But let's go through the actual 23-woman roster. We start with the goalkeepers. Aubrey Kingsbury from the Washington Spirit, Casey Murphy from the North Carolina Courage, and Alyssa Nair is back from the Chicago Red Stars, our number one. Defenders, Alana Cook, Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Emily Fox, Sophia Huerta, Kelly O'Hara, Emily Sonnet, and Becky Sauerbrunn. So a couple of players that are newer, 
a couple of players that are obviously longtime veterans that we've seen for quite a while. It's going to be a great, interesting mix to see who Flatco goes with in all of these in all of these areas. We're obviously missing Crystal Dunn due to pregnancy, but she will eventually be back with this team. Midfielders, we have Morgan Gautreaux, Lindsey Horan, who just transferred over to Olympic Lyonnais, Rose Lavelle, Katarina Macario, Christy Mewis, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan. Again, a nice group of veterans mixed with some young talent. Ashley Sanchez obviously performing well during the January camp and is invited back to be a part of this camp. So it's nice to see her as a fellow Washington Spirit fan to see her in this mix. And then finally, you have your forwards. Ashley Hatch, Mallory Pugh, Midge Purse, Sophia Smith, and Lynn Williams. Only five forwards, but obviously all five of these forwards can do damage. I am excited to see Midge Purse just absolutely destroy everybody in this tournament at the forward position. She is free. Put her up there. Let her do work. That's what I say. So, uh, again, these 23 players will be playing next week. All of this is working towards this summer's CONCACAF W Championship. It serves as qualifying both for the 2023 Women's World Cup as well as the 2024 Summer Olympics. So some of these younger players clearly have a chance to showcase themselves and to prove to head coach Flacco and Donoski that they should be a part of that roster moving forward. So we see those players. We obviously have some veterans that are out due to injury or just not yet ramped up to speed or for other reasons, we're not called in by Vladko and Donovsky, but we have a nice player pool with a lot of decisions to be made. So we will do a full preview of She Believes Cup early next week, but I wanted to make sure that we got this roster out because I think the roster is important to find out who will be going to LA and also to Dallas over the next couple of weeks. Before we wrap up, I do want to make note of the fact that this month, February, is Black History Month. And as we've done over the last few years, I am writing a series of Black History Month posts over at Stars and Stripes FC. So please go over, check out the hub. It's located right on our front page. And just about every single day, I won't promise every day this year because there's been a lot going on with World Cup qualifying and she believes in other things that are coming down the pike. But my goal is to get you some stories this month on Black history, whether it be from here or from abroad. We've already had some stories out right now. I encourage you to go check those out. There's obviously the stories from previous years that are still up and available. And I invite you to go check those out as well. Click on the Black History Month hub, click on the tab in an article, and it'll give you all of those articles as well. And really, I just appreciate all the support and everyone learning because this is, again, something that is a personal journey of mine. It's something that I do because I want to learn about some of these subjects as well. This is not something where I'm teaching anybody. This is something where all of us can learn together. We can grow together and we can improve together because I think that's the point of Black History Month is to enrich and then to expand your mind and really just to you know, make sure that everybody recognizes that history is made every day by Black people and that we have to recognize it. There's some of these stories that you may have heard of and some you may not, and that's okay because everyone in the end is learning something new every single day. That's the point. And I hope that's one of the things that you're getting out of these stories that I'm presenting on the daily. So thank you to everybody who's supporting that. Again, go to starsandstripesfc.com. Check out all those Black History Month stories. And if you have your own, send them to me. I'll write about it. Or if you have something that you think should be written about, please send it to me, ssfcpodcast at gmail.com. But 
that will do it for episode 73 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. I thank you all again for listening. As always, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Rates and reviews are awesome and really help. So five stars if you will like what you are hearing. So until next time, take care.